0: Blessed you are, Lord, great God, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed you are, word of the Father, who has spoken to every generation. We ask that you would now pour out on us your blessed spirit, that we too might know the heritage of the Holy Ones, the the witness of the saints and the people of God, the tradition of the apostles. Pour out on us that ancient presence the glory from of old, the promise of the future, the seal of your coming. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you would open them to the prophet Isaiah. Our text this morning will be verses 27, 1 through 13, the entire chapter. Isaiah 27, verses 1 through 13. You listen as I read God's word this morning. In that day the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan the fleeing serpent, Leviathan the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. In that day a pleasant vineyard, sing of it, I the Lord am its keeper, every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it, I keep it, de- I keep it night and day, I have no wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle, I would march against them, I would burn them up together, or let them lay hold of my protection, let them make peace with me, let them make peace with me. In days to come, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots, and fill the whole world with fruit. Has he struck them as he struck those who struck them? Or have they been slain as their slayers were slain? Measure by measure, by exile, you contended with them. He removed them with his fierce breath in the day of the east wind. Therefore, by this, the guilt of Jacob will be atoned for. And this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sin. When he makes all the stones of the altars like chalk stones crushed to pieces, no ashram or incense altars will remain standing. For the the fortified city is solitary, a habitation deserted and forsaken like the wilderness. There the calf grazes, there it lies down and strips its branches. When its boughs are dry, they are broken. Women come and make a fire of them. For this is a people without discernment. Therefore, he who made them will not have compassion on them. He who formed them will show them no favor. In that day, from the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, the Lord will thresh out the grain, and you will be gleaned one by one. O people of Israel, and in that day a great trumpet will be blown, and those who were lost in the land of Assyria, and those who were driven out to the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem." May God bless the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of his word this morning. Please be seated. <clears throat> Last week, if you recall, I preached on 1 Peter 5, verse 10. And I said then that this verse was a, it was a beautiful benediction offered by the Apostle Peter to God's people who were, who were going through some difficult, tough times. People who were uncertain about their future. I prayed then and I pray now that this benediction will be a constant encouragement to you, that you will remember it as a point of support in times of future trouble and uncertainty. And I want to continue this morning with that with that same theme of encouragement using this uh, wonderful text from Isaiah chapter 27. You know, I see this as a very relevant passage to Desert Springs current situation, and that it highlights that even when the Lord is most intent on the judgment of his enemies, he at the same time is most earnest in his love and support for his people. When the Lord is most intent on the judgment of his enemies, he is at the same time most earnest in his love and support for his people. You know, this passage reminds us clearly of God's wonderful grace towards his people, particularly in hard times. And he promises that he will be with them, he will care for them as they move forward into a murky future. And so as we begin to unpack these verses this morning, I think we discover some very interesting truths regarding how God treats human character. We see, first of all, God's treatment of the wicked. And it's not pretty. Verse 1 says that in the day of his vengeance, God will punish with a hard and great and strong sword. Isaiah uses figurative language here. He says that God will punish by his sword Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and the dragon that's in the sea. And by this, I think he's teaching that enemies of all kinds, those who belong to the heights, those who belong to the depths, as well as those that live in the most inaccessible places, will suffer the judgment of God. There will be no exceptions. And there's no place on earth which is safe for them. Wherever the spirit of opposition of God has appeared, in whatever kingdom it may be, there God will be victorious over his enemies. We also see here the thoroughness of God's judgment. It's not only that the blows God sends are severe, But his judgments are continued and are multiplied until all their corrective work is done. Verse 4 says that he will march through the thorns and briars which are spoiling his vineyard. And he will burn them up together. Verses 10 and 11 say that the fortified city will be solitary, deserted, forsaken, abandoned. So much so that only calves will feed there and lie down and strip the branches of the trees. And these will be so dry and withered that women will come and they will make a fire of them. When prideful, headstrong, and rebellious men defy the word of God and the power of God, they lose. And the God who made them will have no mercy on them. He will show them no favor. God pursues them with his righteous punishment until the briars and thorns are consumed. The city is desolate and the prideful heart is humbled. That is not a very pretty picture, is it? But even then, God provides an opening to these rebellious men. Verse 5 says, or let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. You see, even here, we see the tender concern that God has for sinners. God offers many rays of hope to men. And dear ones, how will they escape if they neglect so great a salvation? When the final word has come, offering a final opportunity to believe, they will not escape. And it's folly to think that they will. But thank God that day of his vengeance has not come yet. Dear ones, now is the day of salvation. If you haven't done so, be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And escape his judgment. Do it now. Well, it gets better. <laughs> that was the bad news of these verses. God will judge his enemies. But there is great good news here. The good news is that we also see God's treatment of the righteous. We see here a picture of God's wonderful grace. Grace toward his church. We see here first how he takes care of his church. Verses 2 and 3 say that he turns a neglected wilderness into a cultivated vineyard which he keeps safe day and night, which he waters every moment, and which he protects from enemies who would come in and destroy it. We also see that God is moderate in his correction of his people. Verses 7 and 8 say that he doesn't visit them with the same severity he shows toward those who are defiant of his will. There's, there's measure. There's limitation. There's restraint toward his children in the day, Isaiah says, when the east wind of his chastisement is made to blow. Verse 9 tells us the purpose of God's chastisement of his people. It's to remove from our lives the dark consequences and the evil stain of sin. It's to demolish the degrading idolatries of our hearts as well as our lives. It's to cleanse our impurities so that we may not only enjoy his favor and dwell in his presence but bear his likeness and fulfill his will for us. Verse 6 promises God's people continued prosperity. Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom. And put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. And finally, this chapter closes with the wonderful assurance that in that day, God's people will be brought out of the land and into his presence and that of the land. And we will worship him forever and ever and ever. Amen. You know, you think about that. Those are pretty amazing promises. Which God makes to his righteous people in this chapter. Those are promises which he will keep. And I think none of these promises are more amazing and comforting than the ones we find in verses 2 and 3. And it's these verses that I want us to spend the rest of the morning looking into. You know, I said right at the beginning, it is a wonderful thing to contemplate that when the Lord is most intent on justice and judgment toward his enemies, he's at the same time just as earnest in his love for his people, love for his church. The day of vengeance of our God is also the acceptable year of the Lord. Look back at Isaiah chapter 26, verse 21 for just a second. You know, Isaiah says there, Behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And he foretells in verse 1 of chapter 27 that we read, that in that day the Lord will come forth armed with a hard and great and strong sword to punish the fiercest of his enemies with a deadly wound. Yet before he goes into battle, chapter 26, verse 20, tells us that he prepared chambers of refuge for his people where they could hide themselves behind closed doors until God's wrath and fury had been completed. Come, my people, enter your chambers, shut your doors behind you, hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. In other words, God's judgments on the world didn't prevent him from remembering his church. Because he says in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 27, A pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day. You see, here are joyful singing people who even in the day of God's wrath are satisfied with his favor. Here are blessed heirs of grace who hear the just and terrible avenger say concerning them in verse 4, I have no wrath. The church of God is compared here to a vineyard of which we are to sing. And what's true of the whole church is also true of every member. The same God who keeps the vineyard also protects every cluster of grapes, every individual vine and branch. You know, these two wonderful verses, verses 2 and 3, they mention two much-needed mercies of God upon his church. First is God's continual keeping Of his church and then secondly his continual watering of his church you know in these in these gracious words of the Lord we have a refreshing promise that his church will be kept from enemies without and from foes within you see God is both a wall and a well to his people He's a wall to guard them from their enemies, and he's a well to supply all their needs out of his ever-flowing grace. So let me just consider first for a moment the continual keeping which the Lord promises to his vineyard. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Lest anyone punish it, I keep it night and day. Well, the question that I have is why is it necessary for God to keep me? To keep the church in His grace. You know, I know that I've been called by His grace. That I've been washed in His blood. That I'm one of God's children. I'm inside the door. I've been saved. Isn't that enough? Now, why do I need continual keeping? Well, if I know anything about myself, and I do, then I am compelled to answer that I do need keeping, because my enemies are many, and I, like the vine, am subject to all sorts of dangers every single day of my life." Well, what are some of these dangers? What are some of these perils that we face? Well, the first one, the most obvious one, which comes to mind, is our archenemy, Satan. You know, Satan's primary goal and desire is to lay the axe to the roots of God's vine and vineyard. He wants to have us. Not only that he may sift us like wheat, but that he may burn us as chaff. Now, I may be wrong, but I would say that most of us will never meet Satan face-to-face in hand-to-hand combat. He has bigger fish to fry than any of us. But we will meet some of his minions in this world. And when we do, we always find it to be a difficult struggle. Satan comes against us not only to worry us, he wants to devour us. We need keeping then, if it were only from this one adversary, who would make a speedy end to us if we were left in his grip, even for just one hour. But there are other dangers. You know, the vine is often subject to injury from many kinds of insects which eat the leaves, prevent the vines from bearing fruit. And so it is with Christians. We often have the fly of pride, which Scripture says always goes before a fall. Then there's the worm of conceit, the locust of self-security, the caterpillar of unbelief, all of which would soon destroy God's vineyard if it were not written, I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, Lest anyone punish it, I keep it night and day. This refreshing promise assures us that the Lord will preserve us from the assaults of all these little personal insects which would very quickly destroy us. Then the vineyard is subject to the attacks of all the little foxes. That Solomon speaks of when he says in the Song of Solomon, Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. Dear ones, there are plenty of little foxes of all sorts going about these days. There's the little fox of false doctrine. The little fox of skeptical teaching. And these crafty little foxes, they nibble at us. Trying to make us doubt things like the inspiration of Scripture, the divinity of Christ, or even to doubt our own salvation. There are others of these little foxes to—they try to tempt us away from the outward means of grace. They try to make us forsake coming to church, going to vacation Bible school, praying, reading our Bibles, many other things. You know, men try to put into our minds all sorts of lies until some Christians hardly know truth from error. And we start to doubt. We start to wobble in our spiritual walk. We need to be continually kept by God's grace. And he does that. He preserves his vineyard from the little foxes and from the big foxes, too. And when we have a few grapes that are just beginning to ripen. There are birds that come and try to eat the fruit. These birds include things like thoughts of worldliness and selfishness and covetousness, which at one time or another come to all of us. The temptation to selfishness, to live for this world alone, or to try to bring forth merely for our own purposes is so strong, and it comes to us so easily that if the Lord didn't keep us, none of us could ever resist those temptations. If God didn't keep us, we would be wholly given up to every kind of sin. You know, I I pray that we would always have a deep and abiding awareness of the dangers that you and I are exposed to every moment of every day. You know, both dangers which come from within and those which come to us from without." You know, not that we may live lives of fear and trembling. That's not the point at all. But that we may be finally weaned from all trust in self and may be driven nearer to God and always seek to live under His divine protection. You know, every morning when we get out of bed, We should expect to have trials and temptations. They're going to happen. We should expect them as normal. But we are to cry out to the Lord for deliverance from them and not think of keeping ourselves during the day, but place ourselves again in the hands of God to be kept and preserved by him who has said of the vineyard, I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it. Lest anyone punish it, I keep it night and day. So that's, I think that's the first point from these wonderful verses. The Lord keeps his church. The Lord keeps his people safe day and night. Well, let me say just a few words about the second part of the subject, the Lord's continual watering. He that keeps the vineyard also waters it every single moment. Most of you in this room uh, know a young couple, Ted and Kay Haas. Uh, They used to be members here. Uh, They're now members of Grace Church, our sister PCA church down in Sierra Vista. They live in Wilcox. Grace PCA is a lot closer to their home, and they have two fairly young children. Makes sense for them to attend there. Well, you all know that Ted's a farmer. And even though most of us who live here in the southwest know how important water is, we don't appreciate water like Ted Haas appreciates water. Ted Haas has 23 wells on his farm to irrigate his crops. And if you didn't irrigate, then none of those crops would last very long. They'd burn up. If one of those wells goes goes down, that is the top priority for that day. That thing has to be fixed immediately. The watering of crops arises from necessity, and Ted Haas carefully attends to it, because otherwise there would be no corn, there would be no peaches, there would be no wheat, no beans, no anything. And I would suggest to you that from the necessity and value of water to the crops and plants of the earth, the Lord would teach us our own need of His grace, and how precious that grace is, and how it makes His promise of supplying it all the more delightful to our souls when we get it. It is a fundamental spiritual principle that the life of all of God's creatures is dependent upon the continual outpouring of God's power and His grace. You see, Basically, our existence is continued creation. We have no power within ourselves to preserve our own being, even for a second. The world isn't like a giant wheel, which, having received this this great push from God's hand, continues to revolve long after his hand is withdrawn. But God's power goes forth continually to uphold all things which he has made. And so it is with the work of God's grace in the lives of his people. Believers are chosen and precious stones. We're being built up as a spiritual house. Now that's certainly true. But dear ones, we are held together only because of the foundation of the house. We are branches sucking nourishment continually from the tree. We are members of the body, always deriving life from the head. uh, Towards God, we are lamps, which have to be constantly trimmed and nourished with oil. We're sheep, which need unceasing care and feeding. A Christian needs watering because there are many things at work in this world to dry up the moisture of his soul. Psalm 63.1 says, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You and I are very much like Ted Haas' crops, which are planted in the blaze of the southwest heat. One moment without divine watering would dry us up, root and branch. And we have no other supply of this water but the living God. Unless God's good pleasure gives the land its refreshment, the dust grows. The land hardens into clods of dirt, and the streams and the wells dry up. May God's people always cry with David, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You know, the most beautiful part of this text, I think, at least to me, is the fact that God waters the vineyard, as the text says, every moment. There is never a moment in which the vineyard or the vine stops needing water. And therefore, the supply is as constant as the demand. The Lord also says that he will keep his vineyard night and day. So that at all hours of the night, as well as the day, the Lord's care is over his church. God's mercy and his grace never stop. God doesn't keep business hours. He's open 24-7. You know, we may stop asking, but God doesn't stop giving. We may not perceive the flowing of his grace, and yet his graces are never suspended, not for a moment. Or else that verse wouldn't be true. I will water it every moment. Dear ones, this is very, very, very good news. It leads us to rest assured in our final perseverance since his perseverance in watering will produce our perseverance in budding, in leafing, and in bearing fruit. And I would pray that your faith would grab hold of that and gather assurance and strength from it. I want you to also note that the Lord's watering here is a renewed act. He doesn't water us all at once. He he doesn't make us drink out of a fire hose. And then leave us to live on uh, what, what he has passed on to us. He doesn't give us grace enough at any one time to serve for a week or a month or a year. He doesn't do that. Instead, he waters us every moment. So that we'll know that at no time can we ever be without him. And that's a good thing. Because it gives us reason for constantly coming back to him because every uh, every moment he has something to give to us. Well, let me close with this. You know, up to now, this refreshing and sacred promise to keep Desert Springs Presbyterian Church and water her has been fully kept. You've been graciously preserved over the years. Why then, Would anyone ever want to question the goodness of God to continue to keep this promise in the weeks and the months to come? Why would you want to do that? I can't think of any good reason. God delights in you today just as much as he ever has. Why? Because Jesus, in whom he sees us, is just as lovely to him as ever. And therefore, you may expect the same kindness from God in the future. God has not only pledged himself to keep and water you his church, but he's spoken of this in scripture over and over and over again. For example, in Isaiah 58, verse 11, we read, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water. Jeremiah says the same thing. Chapter 31, verse 12. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Will God go against his word? Will he turn his back on the covenant that he has made with his people? No. He can't do that. He won't do that. He who said, I will keep and I will water every moment, will do even as he has said. And dear ones, you can take it to the bank. We must never forget one thing. We are the Lord's. We belong to him. Dear ones, he chose us. He bought us with his blood. He delights in us. He put his very glory in hock concerning us. And we may therefore be sure beyond any shadow of a doubt that he will keep and water us into the future and to the very end. Does he water us every moment? Then let his praise continually be in our mouths. Does he care for us? Then let us act purposely to advance his cause, to extend his kingdom, and be concerned for the good of his people. Dear ones, if God waters us, then we need to water other people. If the Lord puts within us a well of living water through his divine watering, then let us give to others rivers of living water. Let us leave this morning with this prayer. Lord, make my soul and make this church a watered garden, a kept vineyard. Saturate my fleece, fill my vessel to the brim, and keep it full forever. Fulfill this word unto your servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, upon whom you have caused us to hope. And keep us and water us every moment as we look confidently into the future. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.